On today's PATS podcast, we are joined by Tanya Miller, the chair of the PATS Governmental Affairs Committee, to talk about AT legislation and governmental affairs. Stick around. Let's be better athletic trainers. Tanya graduated from Shippensburg University in 1997 and is now back at Shippensburg as the Assistant Director of Sports Medicine. Tanya, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So Tanya, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, obviously, we, knew, we, we, we know from the opening that you went to Shippensburg, uh, but tell us a little bit about uh, where you went to school, your work, and how you got involved in governmental affairs. Okay. So yeah, so I went to Shippensburg. It was in my backyard and it was a financial move that I had to make. I had been interesting in a- interested in athletic training, but uh, Shippensburg has never had a curriculum. So when I got to Shippensburg, not knowing, you know, at 18, uh, what I was then going to do, I became a bio major and then found out when I got to Shippensburg that there was this internship route at the time that you could do to get your athletic training. So while I was at Shippensburg, I did take classes through Westchester University, and that's where I was able to get all the classes that I needed to sit for my exam after I graduated. Um, After I graduated, I did do a year of internship at Susquehanna University. And then after leaving Susquehanna, I went on to Bloomsburg University, where I did a graduate assistant position um, and was in their exercise science and adult fitness program. And then I came back to SHIP. I worked elsewhere, and now I'm back at SHIP, which is very, it's very awesome. I mean, obviously, I grew up around here as well. Never thought I'd be back at Shippensburg, so uh, very happy to be here. Um, So with the governmental affairs part of it, after I had gotten done with my grad work, I was working at a small college in, in Lancaster County. And I had, as an undergrad, my director of sports medicine was Steve Heckler. And Steve Heckler was very involved in PATS when I was an undergrad. So after being um, a professional for a few years, I had reached out to see about getting involved back in with PATS. And I was asked to be part of the board of directors as my first stint. Um, So I was the South Central representative uh, in 2006 is when I took over that role um, for the board of directors for PATS. So in 2006 to 2011, I did my board of directors. During that time, um, one, one of the other board members started up the governmental affairs committee again. It had gone by the wayside for a few years and the push for licensure has always been a goal of PATS. And so it was restarted while I was on the board with that goal in mind. And so I was asked to be a member of the governmental affairs committee while I was on the board of directors. And one of the biggest reasons was that I was very close to Harrisburg so I could easily commute to whatever we had to do. And one of the things that we do um, is sit and watch the State Board of Medicine meetings as to just make sure there's an athletic trainer that's available to answer any questions the board could have. And so I was that person. So I I became involved that way. And then um, when George Roberts, who was the chair at the time, had to step down from being the chair, I was asked to take over that role uh, while I was still on the board of directors, and I've been in that role ever since. Awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, great. Um, so you, you touched on it there a little bit, the licensure, right? So mm-hmm. for folks that might not understand, can you can you 
talk about why that is so important for us as healthcare providers to be licensed in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and then maybe even talk a little bit about the history of, of you know, when we weren't, why we weren't, and, and how we got to, to be licensed. Sure. Yeah. So there's three different ways that you can be um, regulated by the state as a healthcare professional or pretty much any profession in Pennsylvania. And the three different areas is you're registered, you're certified, or you're licensed. So what licensure does is it provides the strongest amount of protection for the public and also title protection and, and professional protection for the for the person that be having that license. And when I mean the highest level of protection for the public is that if you hang your sign outside that says you're a certified or a licensed athletic trainer, uh, that they know that you've got a license to prove that you have the background to be that. You have the education and that's exactly what you are. Um, and it also protects the term athletic trainer and the abbreviations that go with that. So you can't call yourself an athletic trainer in Pennsylvania unless you hold that license. So that was the, had always been the ultimate goal for PATS. And so PATS was started in 1976. And so our founding fathers had that goal in mind from 1976. And so when they started looking into, okay, we, we formed PATS, now how do we get regulated in the state? They found out that it's very expensive to have a state board of your own. So in Pennsylvania, all those regulations go through the Bureau of Professional Occupational Affairs and there's boards. The state doesn't like adding new boards, one, um, because they are expensive, and two, um, it's expensive to run. And athletic trainers, especially even back then, we didn't have a large number of athletic trainers, and it's very, it, you know, it, it costs a lot to run a board. So they started looking into how do we do a collaboration to get ourselves involved, and they reached out to the physical therapy board. So the physical therapy board had already been established. And after a few years of negotiations in 1984, uh, athletic trainers became regulated under the Physical Therapy Act. And so we were governed by the uh, physical therapy board. There was a couple things that were not as ideal. I mean, it was great because we finally got on the books in the, in, in the law in Pennsylvania as a health profession, but we were labeled certified. So certified is a step down from that licensure, step up from registration. Registration is you're just recognized by the state as having a profession that needs some education, needs some things. When you're certified, it gives a little bit of protection for the title, but not much. You can Someone could still call themselves an athletic trainer and do the job. Um, and it doesn't provide as, uh, the highest level of protection for the public. So we started out as certified. And the board makeup was PT. So the board makeup, whoever's sitting on the board is in the law. Like you can't just add people to the board. It has to be through law. And then those, those people are appointed by senators and approved by the governor. Okay. So and when they do their rotation. So when we had that first legislation passed, we had no seat at the board. There was no voting rights for athletic trainers. Um, so they did allow for an athletic training advisory committee to be formed, but again, they could do whatever, you know, they could rule whatever on adjudication. So a lot of times what the boards do is they are receiving any complaints and they're looking at those complaints and then they are making a decision on that. So decisions were being made by the physical therapist about athletic trainers and not all the time with with that collaboration with athletic training. So it was, you know, to have someone on the board would be great. So they they started looking into um, how to, 
to push for licensure. So that had been the idea in the beginning is, well, we'll push for certification first. We think we can get you on the books that way and then for licensure. And then that conversation just wasn't happening. So in the early 90s, so that was 1984 through then, the early 90s, they Pat started looking again, like what can we do to benefit ourselves? And so they moved out from under, they started, it was a 10-year process to move out from under the physical therapy board to where we are now under the state boards of medicine and osteopathic medicine. So in 2001 was when that law was passed that moved us under the two, the medical and osteopathic medical practice acts. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so then in 2001, we became under those boards, but we were still working under the rules and regulations that were under the physical therapy board. So how the boards work is you get a, a law, first. Even if you open the practice act and change it, you have the law first, and then that law tells you to promulgate those rules and regs. It took six years for the state boards of medicine and osteopathic medicine to put those rules and regs together. So that didn't come into effect until 2007. So with that, we're still certified. They didn't change it to license, but we had a rotating seat at the board. So both of the boards of medicine and osteopathic medicine and medicine more so regulate a lot of healthcare professionals. So we are just one of many that they regulate. And they obviously regulate all their physicians as well. So the State Board of Medicine has five of the professionals, including us. So we're one of five professionals on that board that has a rotating seat at the board. So a, a term is about four years. So every, four years out of 20, you're gonna see an athletic trainer have a seat at the State Board of Medicine board. and four years out of 16, because there's four four groups that do the osteopathic board. So it's not as good as, hey, we have a seat at the board, but we have a voice in, yeah. uh, under the State Board of Medicine and osteopathic medicine. And we also take direction from a physician. That's our, that's our, that's our work group. So it makes sense to be under those boards. Yeah. It's a great fit for athletic trainers. And then from there, we moved into looking at getting licensure after we were under those boards, after the rules and regs were done. So 2007, when that was passed, I'm on the board of directors. I'm also part of the government affairs committee. And then by 2011, the end of the, that year, we got our law passed for legislation or for licensure. Right. Um, so you, you, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, regulations and, and those boards regulating us. Um, and, and specifically, I'm, I'm sure our, our practice act, can you maybe just discuss some some benefits of the licensure and and um, you know what what types of things are they regulating that this impacts? So yeah, so the the benefits of our regulation, I mean, it tells us how we're able to work. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things obviously is that we have the the licensure um, now, so we have that protection, and that's in the law. The law itself doesn't. It does not very beefy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it has our def it has definitions in it, and it, it's a one page like that says some different things. So the rules and regulations are really where the beef of what happens comes about. And mm -hmm. since the boards make up that regulate rules and regulations, they can add to it things that aren't in the law itself. So uh, some de different definitions and things like that. So you'll find the athletic training services. What does that mean? So what are you legally allowed to do in Pennsylvania? is under athletic training services. Your practice standards are under there. How do you get licensed? How do you renew your license? Uh, temporary, a temporary license, which I think is something we don't take advantage of very much 
uh, for our new graduates in Pennsylvania. So all of that is in those rules and regulations that gives you the background of how to practice in Pennsylvania, what you can do and also what you can't do. And, and prior to licensure, and, and you, you kind of talked about it protecting us as a profession, prior to that, it was kind of much easier for somebody who didn't have the skills, didn't have the education to just kind of say, hey, I am an athletic trainer, hire me, even though they weren't qualified. Is that is that what you're yeah. saying? So they could say, and even necessarily, they could do the job of an athletic trainer. They could be call, not calling themselves, but saying that they're doing this job, but now uh, the profession is uh, protected a lot more, okay. uh, which obviously protects the public. You know, when you look at a state like California that keeps trying to even just get regulated there, I mean, you know, they're regulated. They don't even have a certification yet. You know, they're, they don't, the state has yet to understand that the, the, the protection of the public that that affords the people in California. Yeah. Do you feel like that um, affects salaries or, or economics at all? I don't. No. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it can different in different things. Like if you are working in a clinical setting and you're looking to get for reimbursement, the insurance companies are definitely going to look at that a little bit different. So if you're okay. looking to use an athletic trainer for reimbursements, they're going to look at licensure different than certification. Okay. But in the, in the general terminology for what I as I look at it, yeah. I think I think it's the protection of the public that's the greatest. Yeah. So folks in California are pretty, you know, same salary range as, as we are, even though we're licensed in PA, we don't see it. Yeah, and I, I honestly have no idea what sure. that is. But in, in California, they do have a lot of people that step into the role of an athletic trainer that are not, don't have any education. Yeah. Yeah, I just I feel like that could be a problem, um, you know, if like an EMT or, or somebody who doesn't have our um, educational background is stepping in there, you know, are they going to pay them as much? But I, I don't know. I was just I was curious if, if you'd ever run into that type of issue at all or not. Yeah, I did a uh, I did an event out in um, Southern California, probably about five years ago at this point, And we ran into that issue with the EMT. Um, there was a lot of whose jurisdiction is this, who, who has the higher degree, whose uh, patient responsibility is it for the event. Um, it, was very, uh, it was very difficult and actually, we actually had to have our team physician and our team PT step in to vouch for athletic trainers. And then they mm -hmm. set up some kind of agreement with their overseeing physician that we could treat and then recommend. Um, it was, it was um, yeah, we almost, that event was almost shut down because of that. Well, and EMS in Pennsylvania does hold, um, I'm not sure if it's a license or certification, but they are regulated. So I assume they, they would be regulated in California as well. They are. So, California should be a national registry by, by my understanding. Yeah. So that they would actually be higher, higher rank in the, in the state. In the state of California. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So there, yeah, there's some more uh, other issues, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that, that could run into some, some issues on the sideline for sure. Tanya, so in Pennsylvania, we're, we have both the State Board of Medicine and Osteopathic Medicine. Why, why are we on both? I've always wondered that. Okay, so when they, when they were looking at it, it made sense because we work under the direction of a physician and it can be an osteopathic doctor or it could be a medical doctor. And so I think uh, when they were looking at this, they actually, it, they actually did this 
really well is that they did mirror bills to to add a mirror language to both and that's why the rules and regs are mirrored as well so what that allows us to do is is, is kind of unique compared to other other um, professions is we can be licensed so i'm licensed under the medical board but i can still work for a do because we have this this companion law under these two practice acts. I don't have to get a license under the osteopathic board to work for an osteopathic physician. Okay. Okay. Now what it also allows for though is jurisdiction. So that's another term in the law that says that there is a jurisdiction if I would have a disciplinary action against me that goes to the board to get reviewed, it's going to be the board that my physician is licensed under, not me. So I can be licensed under the medical board working for a DO, I get disciplined. The osteopathic medical board is the one that's gonna hear my case and okay. educate for it. So, that would, yeah. um, so then does that make, I, I mean, I know I, when I was, um, when I originally got my license in Pennsylvania after college, um, we were told we could just apply to any of them. And I haven't seen any, obviously no difference in the laws. Does that, kind of affect how easy it is to change our state practice act to add uh, more abilities to get licensure since we have to go through both boards? No, nope, because again, when we went, we did the licensure um, in 2011, when we were able to pass that, we had companion bills that were um, put forward and those companion bills just go together. And so okay. they, they, they mirror the language in each, in each of them so that they still remain the same. Um, awesome. Now the boards then, if, if there is a disciplinary action, the boards may not adjudicate it the same because they are individual boards, but they have the, we have the ability to do what we're doing under those boards. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what are some specifics that uh, we should, that we need to understand to practice legally in Pennsylvania? Um, so the specific. So one, I, I, I have to say is that I think everybody that's an athletic trainer working in Pennsylvania should at least read through the Practice Act and the rules and regs. Um, I don't believe that. I don't know how much that happens. I hope that it happens a lot more than I think it happens. But um, you really should know what you're allowed to do in, in Pennsylvania, because the rule, the the Practice Act and the rules and regulations have these definitions in them. And so one of the big ones is physically active person. So that's a definition of a patient population that we have in Pennsylvania. We're the only healthcare profession that is regulated by a population. Um, so it, you need to know what that term is, what the definition is, you know, for whatever practice that you're in, whether you are in a, a traditional versus a non-traditional setting. Um, understanding what a written protocol is. What's the definition of a written protocol? What's a standing written prescription? What does that look like? What does a referral look like? And how is that supposed to, to do? The rules and regulations talks about communication that you have to have with your supervising physician. So it lays out what you're supposed to do. It has to be in writing. You have to be able to have that written in there. Um, how you're communicating. And then the two big ones, athletic training services is defined what you can do and more importantly what you can't do at, under athletic training services and then practice standards are also within those rules and regulations like those are those are big for me and like i said before the temporary license is something that i think that is not taken advantage of 
from recent graduates. A lot of our graduates take the BOC exam before they actually end up graduating, but not everybody one passes. I mean, I think we have a good passing rate, but you don't, not, you find people that don't, they don't always pass one or they get pushed back into that summertime position. And they don't realize that if, as long as you're a graduate, have everything, all your ducks in a row, and you have applied to sit for the exam, you can actually apply for a temporary license in the state. And what that temporary license will do is you can practice as an athletic trainer in the state of Pennsylvania, as long as you're under direct supervision of an athletic trainer for up to a year. So you could work as an athletic trainer for up to a year as you're taking your exam. Yep. And as soon as you take your exam, you have everything already with the state, it just reverts to a license. So what are the requirements to apply for that? Do you have to have proof of You have um, to have everything. Graduate? Yeah, everything okay. in a row that you would have to have for licensure besides the BOC exam. Okay. You have to prove that you have applied to take the exam. See, I never knew that existed. Like when you were saying temporary license, I was thinking something on the lines of like travel treat where you're coming in for a few days. That um, is in our law as well but that's not considered a temporary, not temporary It yeah. is just the under practice standards. It just allows that if you're, if someone is traveling into Pennsylvania and not all states have this, um, but the, um, the law, the, the national law that was passed does help with this. But uh, in Pennsylvania, if you're traveling into the state and you're working with your own group of people, you're not ad adding new patients, you are allowed to work with your own people on that temporary basis while you're in the state without any, without getting a license. Watch out for North Carolina. They're uh, they they don't have one. Right. Well, uh, and luckily the uh, the law that was passed that the NATA helped get passed does help yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm curious. Um, you you talked about like the SOP versus the prescription. Do you mind diving into the the two of those and what the difference is? Yeah, sure. So we have a written protocol and we have a standing written pres prescription. Now okay. those are going to be whenever you're in a position that you are having those like that standing orders. So the mm -hmm. traditional type thing in a clinic, you're probably getting a prescription referral, you know? Okay. And so that's that, that's where the referral term comes in is you're getting an individual referral for a patient when you're in other settings and within the um, athletic training of a traditional setting, you have patients that you're seeing every day, right? That you're under these orders that you and your physician sign. So we have the written protocol that talks about that relationship with you and your physician. And mm -hmm. then you have the standing written prescription, which is within the written protocol that says the population that you're able to treat. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like business owner who wants to get out of the traditional setting mm -hmm. and they want to be an athletic trainer in the state of Pennsylvania, um, and, and treat physically active people. Cause that's, that's our yep. patient population. What do they need from a physician to can, you know, if you just get a single referral, so say if uh, an orthopedic doctor gives you a prescription to treat you know, a post-op ACL, do you also need standing orders from that physician or no. how does that work? You do not. Yeah. Okay. So, right. yeah. The, so the, the individual prescription is, is the same as a standing written prescription in the respect that it's an order to treat that person. Okay. Whereas a standing written prescription is kind of a blank order of you have at say at Shippensburg, you have these student athletes that have had a physical, they've done the things that are under the practice standards, and I'm your supervising physician allowing mm -hmm. you to do athletic training services on this population. 
you know. So if you add in, um, if, if you had or working in a clinic and maybe you're doing that, you're doing some athletic training at a high school as well, you would have your standing written prescription and your written protocol there, but you'd be working under referral at mm -hmm. the clinic. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and, and so that that written, how specific does that written prescription need to be for that referral? Um, you know, is it, what if it, if it just says like post-op ACL, treat as per AT, does that basically give you, you know, as long as you're staying within the practice act, you can kind of do whatever. Yeah. The best, how you interpret that? The, yeah. The best terminology is, is that I'm referring for athletic training services for, okay. you know, because athletic training service is the term, but right. you know, as long as it's, you know, athletic training um, services that you're working within the practice act and what you have to, you know, how to do. Yeah. And obviously even the practice act, uh, uh, um, late talks about under the practice standards of, Hey, if, if, if it's something that needs to be refer referred out, you need to refer it out too. Yeah. So, so then that, that physician is supervising you for that patient. That's yeah. how that works. Okay. And that's where in the traditional setting, so we have our supervising physician, but as mm -hmm. soon as we have a patient that is being seen by an outside physician, that's why we need that clearance, that referral right. or whatever to come back to us. Like, okay, so that physician wants you to do this. I need that in writing because mm -hmm. we're now technically working under that physician, yep. not our overseeing supervising physician. As soon as they get a clearance, they come back under our umbrella. Yep. Yep. Um, but it, it, you would be okay if you then had them follow up with your physician. Like you didn't, they didn't bring a note. You have them follow up with your physician. And now they're being treated by that physician and they're supervising. Yes. You. Now, and, and that's just going to be, that's going to be on, on the physician. They may want yeah. to know that, that sure. you know, that kind of thing. But obviously yep. as long as we have are given yeah. direction by a physician, then we are able to work. Cool. Yeah. No, those are all like little intricacies that I think that, that do get complicated. Um, and, and, you know, if we really want to maximize ourselves as healthcare professionals in the state, I think the more we understand this, yes. the better we can represent ourselves and, yes. and, you know, we can open up new areas of, of work for ourselves. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's Thanks. really helpful. Thank you, Tanya. Mm -hmm. Um, so future legislation, yeah. where are we going? So we talked about the history. We talked about how we got to licensure. What's yep. next for, for athletic training in the state of Pennsylvania? Well, um, so, and I mean, ever since I got involved, one of the big things I've been wanting to do is to modify or remove the physically active person. As I said, we're the only healthcare professional in Pennsylvania that's dictated by a population. Athletic training services, the definition of athletic training services, that really is what everyone, every other healthcare profession is governed by. That's, that's, that's what their law is. They, they have a number of things that they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do and that's what everybody else and it's not the population that you're it's just you you have these services that you can do this is what you can provide and you do that you know you can't step out of that athletic training services to do something that's not in your wheelhouse so we would we we do want to try to 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 remove that or modify that so that it opens that up a bit um, the other the other piece to it, when the rules and regulations were promulgated, like I said, they can add things into it that weren't defined in the law. So one of the definitions that they or things that they added was in athletic training services, it's you can do it, it means that you can do this. It means you can do this. And it says what it doesn't mean is that athletic training services does not include surgery, invasive procedures or prescription of medications or controlled substances. 
surgery is understandable, medications and controlled substances we understand, invasive procedures is the thing that we're trying to better define because yep. there's no definition. So you can find, you can Google invasive procedure and you can find something as extremely restrictive that contradicts athletic training services, or you could find something that's very open to interpretation, yeah. but there's never been any kind of um, board review for the boards to say what they meant by invasive procedure. So we'd like to modify that to make it a little bit more clear as yeah. to what is meant by invasive procedure. Yeah. I think that would be really, really valuable. Right. Um, I mean, cause yeah. technically like popping a blister or something as simple as that, would be right. considered invasive and, and questionable, right? In, so under one definition, right? And then you, like I said, I found definitions, you know, under like CMS that it's only considered invasive if it's, if it's surgical. And yeah. I do personally think that's where it was going when sure. they added that in. Yeah. Um, but again, we don't have any idea. So, you know, in my practice with EpiPens and things like that, we yeah. put yeah. that in our practice act that our, our supervising physician is saying, yes, right. it's an emergency. You're the athletic trainer is assisting with use the use of the EpiPen, you know, yep. Uh, yep. or Norcan. We actually did add that in just in case we are in a position that um, we start having to uh, house that, that kind of medication. Thoughts on um, internal temperatures for heat stroke is that invasive? Yes. So, so are we not allowed to do that in the state of Pennsylvania? Again, it's the gold standard. <laughs> right. So I think that it, since there hasn't, there hasn't been any, any um, say there hasn't been a lawsuit. So there hasn't been a, a ruling yeah, on it. No precedent. So the, yeah, so there's the, no, there hasn't been a precedent set. I think that if you are in a, an athletic trainer that doesn't do it, you could you could be in just as much trouble as an athletic trainer that does do it to go for it. I think you have a good, we have a good standing to say it's a the gold standard across right. the board. Like you can't, you, it's hard to tell between uh, you know heat exhaustion and heat stroke unless you actually use that internal temperature. It's the only way, yeah. You know, so if you can't make that decision, you could be treating that patient wrong, and that could end up with a, a with a terrible outcome. Yep. So. You know, a, a, again, that's one of those reasons. We we have been speaking to a lot of different uh, groups because anytime you open a practice act, anytime you do something that's considered a scope of practice change, uh, which would happen with our population with invasive, you're going to get pushback from different populations uh, that do similar things within the healthcare field. And so one of the things that has not seemed to be an issue with anybody is us defining invasive procedure because it it does it contradicts our athletic training services yeah uh, definitions yeah no yeah i think that that would be great yeah you you mentioned um the physical physically active piece also kind of holding us back a little bit i'm curious what the other states how do, how do they define their do, do other states define their population when they're licensed or or are we you know kind of in a world of our own here in pennsylvania no, it's very common for there to be a, um, a population that has been added in, and that comes from the historical perspective of athletic training, where we were very much in athletics, um, and that every healthcare profession changes and, and, and modifies how they're doing things, and so there's a bill out in New Jersey right now to get their 
language removed. There's a, the Maryland just uh, modified their language. Ohio has a bill to modify their language. There's multiple states within the United States right now that are doing the same thing that we want to do because the profession obviously is continually changing and evolving. And so we need our practice act to be able to evolve with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, a human's a human, right? So like you said, as long as we're sticking to athletic training services that yeah. we know how to do, yes. you know, there's not a lot of discrepancy there between different ages and activity level, in my opinion. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Um, so you were, you were also talking about um, what else is going on in, in legislation? Um, what, what else do you want to update us on? Yeah, so so currently we were we are working under the the expansion that happened in um, in May from Governor Wolf. So right. with the pandemic, which obviously has been terrible for all of us, he uh, he went through all of the healthcare professionals um, and made things a bit easier for everybody to be able to help with the pandemic. And so what they what he did with athletic trainers was he removed that physically active person. And yep. so for for the purpose of the emergency declaration, as long as the emergency declaration is out there, physically active person has been removed in this under this expansion so that we can help with the pandemic, which is, uh, which is obviously athletic trainers are absolutely grateful. Those that have been able to be on the front lines and yep. move into that position. It has been great. Obviously right now that declaration is, is to end in the beginning of February. Okay. Um, I think it's, or the end of February. I think it was the end of November that he extended it. So that'd be December, January, February. So beginning of March is okay. when that would expire, uh, unless, of course, he allows it to continue. So those that are working in those capacities do, do need to understand that when that, uh, uh, if, if the expansion expires, that if it expires, working back it, under that physically active person definition. Is there talks of expanding it? Like, I mean, it, yes. what, what do we have to do to do that, right? Well, it would be, it, it, it probably would be a lot harder than it sounds to actually do. But um, one of the things that I do with governmental affairs is that we monitor legislation, mm -hmm. um, any legislation that comes out. Pennsylvania has a two-year legislative window compared to, to Maryland where there's three months. So we have a very large legislative window that a lot of legislation comes out. So one of the main things that we do is we monitor anything that could potentially affect athletic training, yeah. uh, good, bad, or whatever. And we try to make sure that it's the end result is the best result for athletic trainers, whatever it is. Take the concussion law and the sudden cardiac law. We were, mm -hmm. we were with those. Um, the expansion had a a representative in the Philadelphia area who put a bill forward that was looking to um, make the expansion um, active for a year after the pandemic is over because he's saying there's still going to be a lot of things happening with pandemic. So we need to understand that we can still do stuff, but then put a committee together that would look at each of those expansions for, and again, that's pretty much every healthcare professional that had some type of expansion done or changes made and see, do they make sense to make them permanent? Nice. Now that it's something that did not, because it, it was, it was introduced late. It didn't make it through the last session. We're not sure if he's going to plan on reintroducing that. We're hoping that that comes out again to see where that goes, what happens. There was an amendment that was made prior to the session ending that was making it extended for three months, not a year, um, and but still having that work group put together. So we'll see where that goes um, or if it goes anywhere. But again, yeah. like 
it, it's legislation is hard, especially when you have such a long legislative session. It can go into committee and it can just not ever lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, but that, that, that is really valuable to know. Cause I, you know, I, it, unless you're actively going out and seeking that information, like it, you don't know when things expire, right? Like, like we do, we need to be informed. We need to go in and read yeah. practice act. Like we need to stay informed and, and, and again, like take advantage of, of these opportunities that yeah. they've, they've allowed us right now to, to, to yeah. push our profession forward. Right. Um, and, yeah, and, and, you know, right now too, we actually can help with vaccines, uh, as long as we do some education on it, there's a list of, of approved providers and we're under the list of approved providers that can help with vaccine distribution, which is great because, you know, that was, that's the one problem with the vaccine right now is there's not enough people to administer it. Right. So that's why the governor is also opening things up to allow, um, you know, assistance at pharmacies and things like that, you know, doing that same thing where you got to do some education, but you can, um, you can add on to your and help out with that. And that's beyond whatever our practice act says. So that's a delegated by a physician beyond right. what our practice act says. So that would be in effect past the pandemic, I would assume. Okay. Unless they remove that list of yeah. approved providers. And we're and, and when you say when we're talking about vaccines, are we talking about actually administering the vaccine? Mm -hmm. Okay. Just wanted to clarify doing, that because that's doing the IM injections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Um and, you know, cool. like we talked about before, like it, this isn't going away in the next month. Right. Um, so, you know, extending some of these, these amendments, I think is going to be really valuable. And then again, we just, we need to get out there and, and take advantage of them. So that way people see us get in the front lines, um, yeah. you know, be, be the PR yeah. for athletic training. And a great PR for athletic trainers right now is that we've had how many professionals working without a population uh, definition for 10 months. And right no harm has come. So, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's kind of been um, helpful, I think, to when we had that conversation to get a bill introduced, um, you know, before we didn't have the ability to prove that we've been doing it. And right. now we actually have the ability to prove that we've been doing it. Yep. So, yep. I mean, athletic training is very versatile. We have very similar professions to us that don't have the versatility of our background in education to jump into different areas, you know, right. and be able to jump into what uh, athletic trainers have been able to jump into in, in uh, the pan during this pandemic. Um, yeah. And it really, it really shows, it just really shows the, the, uh, the benefits of our profession. Completely agree. So Tanya, how do how can we as athletic trainers get involved to help with this recognizing athletic trainers diversity and skill set uh, to kind of push some of this stuff forward to help to help you guys out with the legislation committee to help out with, um, you know, just public impression of athletic trainers. Well, again, I'm going to go back to knowing your law and knowing your, your rules and regulations, because the more you know it, the more you're educated when you're speaking to somebody and you can say, you know, I can't do this because my practice act says I can't. And that tends to open up those conversations. Well, why? Why does your practice act say this? And so you can find some some advocates where you never thought you'd find just because you know what your rules and regulations and your practice act actually says, you know, so I, the other thing I would say is so. After the expansion happened, we contacted the NATA. They have a database that uses the, um, the members in Pennsylvania to connect them to legislators. And so we, were, we did a letter campaign to try to make sure that all the legislators were informed that we were so grateful to be able to help with this pandemic because of this expansion. So we did a letter campaign. Now, the 
Pennsylvania's House of Representatives has the largest number of seated House members in the entire country. We have a very, very large uh, government population. I mean, we're larger than the National House of Representatives. So we have a lot of people. And the Senate, not so much because the Senate, they have larger districts. So we did a decent campaign on the Senate side with the letter campaign. We did not do a very good job with our representative side. We had 78% of the people that we sent, and this is members that we sent an email to that never opened the, le the email. Well, so, folks, open your email. Exactly. So we <laughs> hope to be able to, if we have legislation, this is probably going to be something that we're going to want to do. Representatives and senators want to hear from their constituents. They don't, Pitt, Pittsburgh doesn't want to hear from me. I don't live right. there. You know, they want to hear from right. someone that's in their district. That's who they work for. So hopefully the next time we do this, and you know, open your PATS email, see what it okay. is. You know, and if you can help us out, it was just a simple, you didn't have to write anything. All you had to do was put your name in. It matched you with your person and it sent a automatically generated letter, you know, to that. You just signed it. Right. Yeah, folks, we got to We got to do better. We have <laughs> do we, to do better. Do we have those resources up on the uh, Pat's website? The do resources you know? for? For who our legislature or legislative is I'm and a copy of that letter. Yeah, I'm pretty positive we do. We did just switch to a new web. Yeah. And one of the things that we want to do is actually revamp that legislative side of things. So it's definitely something that we want to have there. Find your legislator. Um, I, I can definitely tell anybody that wants to know how to do that to do it. It's pretty easy to, to find. But um, yes, knowing who your legislator is, is great. One of the other things that may be coming out of what we're doing right now is trying to find people in every district that would be able to actually go and speak or do a drop off to their their legislators and that would be with talking points that we would have because we'd want to stay within a within a, a narrow window of what we want to speak or how we want right. to say what we want to say but even just dr doing a drop off and saying yep. thank you for your service for you know what you're doing for the state you know i'm an athletic trainer and i just wanted to say thank you type thing so okay. maybe asking people to step up to do that uh it would be great if we could do it with every uh, house district <laughs> in Pennsylvania. But again, like I said, there's a lot of house members. I think there's over 200. So nice. there's a lot of people to be in contact with. So is it fair to say that if you are interested in helping out, you can contact you? Yeah. I mean, contact me. That <laughs> does have a, um, the link on the website that says, if you want to help click here, okay. you put mm -hmm. your information, say what you're interested in. Yeah. yeah and and I do, I do know that Shelly, our president, is is definitely trying to look into finding people in these these smaller districts to be able okay. to be those. You once twice a year, you just do a drop off, or you you know, and then your legislator gets to know you a little yep. bit. Hey, I was here about six months ago. Just wanted to say hi again. Drop something off, you know, type thing. Yeah. So and just just realizing too that if you go in with your Pat's hat on, you're not there as your personal hat. You know, yep. <laughs> your yep. person did this yep. thing. So, yeah, yeah. You know, stick to the topics. But, yep. yeah. And that's if, and even if you don't get to see them, you get to to meet their, um, the people that work for them. And they're the, they're the ones that are going to remember you too. So, and the Pats website, just for a reminder, is www.gopats.org. Anything else, Check Tanya, that you want to touch on in regards to governmental, governmental affairs? You feel like we um, hit all of the, the big ones? 
Yeah, and I think if I if I didn't say it, I don't think I did when we were talking about the standard written prescription and the written protocol. One of the other big things that you need to, to need to know, and you'd know this if you read <laughs> the Practice Act and the rules and regs, is that needs to be reviewed and signed annually and kept mm -hmm. on file. And yeah, if it's yeah. not, the State Board of Medicine or Osteopathic Medicine could ask for it any day of the year, and you need to be able to provide that. Um, again, the more we practice legally, and, and I think we're doing it, and I'm not saying I don't think we're not doing it, but the yep. more you know what you're supposed to be doing and you, you're in that lane, the better you promote athletic training in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I think it's important too. Uh, the, and I think this is getting better, but like camps and clinics in the summertime, like you need yeah. a specific SOP for that. Like you got to yeah. have it, you got to have it on file. Yeah. Yep. And I think, I mean, I honestly, and, and, and we have the, 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 ability to sign up for things now with platforms that understand that yeah and that's great too because right. they are doing things the right way yep and yeah that's pushing out that education to everybody else yeah. which is great yes we work under the direction of a physician you have to have that direction yep. you know, under no matter what you're doing awesome awesome well let's um dive into the lightning round okay you up for that sure Cool. Um, this is always just fun. Um, the, the, the questions are um, short and you can keep your answers as short as you want or as long as you want, whatever you prefer. Um, but it's just a little bit of fun here at the end. So if you're not currently in this position, what is your dream job? Uh, in my position with government affairs or at Shippensburg? Shippensburg. It's Shippensburg. I yeah. can't believe I'm back at Shippensburg, honestly. Nice. <laughs> you know, we, I, we get everybody always says that it's the job they're in, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. Like you know, you wouldn't think right. you'd get that as often as you can. But yeah, go Absolutely. go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I and I grew up here, so I'm I'm back home yep. uh, where I grew up, which I never, I just never thought I would be, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, full circle. I love it. So, what do you like to do for fun? So I like to there. I get into a lot of crafting type things, uh, woodworking type things. So I, I do that, you know, hanging out with friends and family, uh, which hasn't obviously been the greatest in the past 10 months, but hopefully we will soon get back to that. And I, um, I also do a lot of ancestry research. Oh, cool. Yeah. So where are you from? Where are your ancestors from? You know, it's it's a melting pot. It's all over, but oh, mainly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mainly, I would say it's Germanic. It's uh, the the England, Ireland, Scotland, and yeah. Switzerland, and then even north from that, it's it is that area. Yeah, so my background is, but yeah, pretty pretty similar. I, I did the well, not the twenty four. It was um one the ancestry dot com, and yeah, yeah, same like. I was like almost 99% from, from like UK, Great Britain yeah. area. Like I was really hoping for like some, <laughs> you know. You know what I found out with it though too, is the first time I did the DNA, um, I was like 79% Germanic and now they keep adding in new alleles and yeah, yeah, yeah. look. So it keeps expanding it. So now right. that, that has cool. dropped pretty significantly and the UK side of it has increased. Okay. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was super bored. I was really disappointed. I was like, yeah. why did I even spend this money? Like this was boring. But yeah, yeah, yeah but they keep they keep adding more and more to it. And I find it very interesting. Yeah. But then I have family trees that go on forever. That's super cool. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, something I don't have and I wish I did. But oh yeah, yeah that, I can take them back to like a, the ADs. And oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Whether it's yeah. accurate, I don't know. But this still, is adding in from other people. But yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, cool. that is we, really. We cool. have it back to I think three greats. Um, wow. on my yeah. mom's side. I think it's yeah. the, uh, the last time we did it. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I go back so far and it's very easy to get off on tangents. Oh my gosh. Sure. Sure. But yeah. Tanya, what inspires you? 
Um, I would say it, it, with our profession, it's the population that we do work with, <laughs> whatever that yeah. population is. I mean, it's, and I'm in a traditional collegiate setting. And so, you know, it's, it's getting to see how those students develop from when they come in to when they leave. You get to know them a lot different in our profession when you're in that traditional setting than you do in any other healthcare profession. For sure. We have a unique ability in that respect of what we do um, to really get to know them, to help them with a lot of different things other than just the medical side of stuff. So I think I think it's our it's the it's the student athletes I work with. Yeah, agreed. I'm excited to hear your answer on this one since okay. you're involved with all the governmental affairs. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Well, I think one, it's it's amazing to me that uh, the professionals that we have in athletic training, like to, to me, we have the best professionals and athletic training means that to me. It's the professionals we work with because, you know, we all know you don't get into athletic training unless you absolutely love and have a passion for this job because you won't last. You just won't. And so whenever you meet somebody that's an athletic trainer, you are honestly have that connection already because mm -hmm. you're not doing this if you don't love it. Yeah. Period. <laughs> you know, <Yep. laughs> and I also think what it means to me is being an advocate for our, our whatever population we have, because we get to know our student athletes and my my setting so well, you can advocate for them. And it's not just with other healthcare professionals, which we do that as well, but it's with their coaches. It's with their their professors. It's you know, you, you become that advocate. And I think we're just so big with that. And also it means that we are the best collaborators in healthcare profession, in my opinion, as well. We understand that everybody has a role to play and that we are very quick to use those roles. We don't get selfish in wanting to do everything ourselves. We understand that, hey, this other profession could do this a lot better than I can. Why don't we refer you out to them? Yeah, very, very well said. I love it. Yeah. Agreed. Well, Tanya, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your day today to share your expertise with us. Um, if viewers are um, have any questions or want to reach out to you, is there any way that they can do that? Sure. You know, on the uh, Pat's website, you can always find my uh, governmental affairs email, but that is just governmentalaffairspats at gmail.com. And uh, you can send me any question that would pop up. Like I said, it's part of my job that I description I do for as being a chair, I do answer emails a lot for questions that happen across the state and try to try to give them uh, again I I don't think I've said this but I can't interpret the law right. so the interpretation needs to have that precedent but I can give you um, you know try to answer the questions as best I can or God like you said earlier guide you to somebody that can answer the question right exactly yeah, absolutely Tanya thank you so much for joining us today that was absolutely awesome um, and to our viewers thank you for joining in um, this is Adam Richmond and Philip Hensler and this was the Pats podcast.